Hey everybody, this is uh, Jacob Daniel with the Daniel 3 Podcast. Uh, I just did an episode uh, with Caleb Brown of The Catholic Libertarian. He's been on my show a few times, and this was the first time I've been on his. He interviewed me for a series that he's doing, which is Explain to Me like I'm five. So he had me on to explain the Mises Caucus and my involvement in it, what the Mises Caucus is, and uh, you know why I'm an advocate for it. And I um, figured it'd be a good episode to put on my page as well, because even though I've talked about this on, on different episodes before, I've not really devoted an entire episode to like explaining uh, what the Mises Caucus is, why I'm involved in it in the first place, you know, etc. So, um, yeah, that's basically all I wanted to introduce this with. Um, make sure subscribe to Caleb's podcast as well. Uh, great content there. He does a lot of great interviews with different people. Uh, you can find him uh, on Twitter and stuff. His stuff is plugged in the episode. Um, and yeah, enjoy. And welcome to another episode of the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. This is another episode of the Explain to Me Like I'm Five. Today we're doing the Mises Caucus strategy, like I'm five. And for that, I got the only person in Mises Caucus I actually like and respect, Jacob. Jacob, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And that was a jab. I actually like a lot of people in the Mises Caucus. There's a lot of them I'm like, like Tom Woods is a part of it. So I got to like, I got to respect a little bit. But let's just kind of let's do the shit for a little bit while we let some people hop in the chat, hop in here. Um, let's tweet it out. We'll, I'm gonna tweet it out real quick, actually. Yeah, I'm gonna copy the link as well, and because uh, that that little trick I tried didn't work, the audio didn't pull through. So that's oh, that sucks. I will just copy and paste. This really sucks because my camera's in the way of my. Wait, I have. I'm always dumb and forget I have dual monitors, and I can go <laughs> like this. Oh, I can see. All right. <laughs> Come watch me, me school a dumb paleo. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna put come watch me quiz a uh, artist on stuff. But well, that could go both ways. That could go both ways. I'm not ha- I w- it was a weird toss of one that some there today trying to figure if I say you just mean or Rob's meme because they were both so Rob's good. was better. <laughs> yeah, was just, it was he was good, and I think I might use that one for the post. Honestly, like after it all happened, stuff, use that one for the main one post. But for the waiting, I'm like, this is this is the waiting one. All okay, right, there we go. Um, Close the minds of tabs now. Good, got some freaking gnats flying around here. All right, well, I'm good to go whenever you are, my friend. Sounds good. So first, I'm pretty sure everyone knows who you are. You're on all the podcasts at this point now. You're going everywhere. Um, just give people a little recap. Who are you and what is your, like, are you just one of the sit posters on Twitter or what's your involvement with the Mises Caucus? Like what level of involvement are you at and explain your job? Okay. So, uh, my name is Jacob Daniel. I am a podcaster primarily, but, um, I'm also involved in the Mises Caucus. I'm a state organizer in the state of PA. We got like, I don't know, seven or eight state organizers here in PA. And, uh, you know, in general, the state organizers, have a lot of duties but we kind of specialize once we you know some states only have two and so they do everything um but in pa we have enough that we kind of specialize um and but it also changes based upon like what's going on right now but the general duties are helping candidates run their campaigns uh recruiting new members getting them plugged into 
the caucus plugged into the Libertarian Party at their local level, the state level, and the national level, um, helping them to helping them to attend convention, attend their county meetings, showing them how to get involved. Uh, you know, the, the political process. Um, then there's like an educational element to it as well, because a lot of people who join are like new libertarians or they're not even really libertarians yet. They're like independents or people that left, you know, one of the two parties and they're still learning about it. So, you know, we kind of serve as also kind of like, you know, people that new members can come and talk to with about the, about the philosophy, about questions they have. And we kind of help to push them in the right direction, either give them books to read, articles to read, podcasts to watch, or just answer them outright. We also help to promulgate the culture within how, the how often do you plug you on, How often do you plug you on soda with new people? Oh, every, every time. Actually, uh, here in PA, there's this weird rule where you have to subscribe to my podcast first before uh, you can become a member. So, see, I mean, now that I know you guys are crooked, I, I actually have more respect for you as a political party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, um, I do have uh, – you're not on Facebook, but so it's funny, a little, little tangent here. When Facebook took down the main Mises Caucus page for a little You're bit, like, down? Like a few weeks ago, it was taken down a little for, for a little while. And while it was gone and we weren't sure if it was going to come back, um, I created a new group. And it's a, it was a it was like, OK, this group's either going to be just a replacement or it'll be like a stand in whatever. And I named it because, you know, how there's like the Waffle House Caucus, there's the Seafood Caucus and all that. Mm-hmm. So I named it the mcdonald's caucus with mc in quotation marks and then put in parentheses definitely not mises caucus <laughs> so not um and that group has become primarily a shit posting group after the main group came back um nice. and it's all like mcdonald's memes and a lot of like mcnukes and everything's mick you know so it's it's really it's it, it's developed this nice little subculture um but in that group i uh i grip my podcast be, like crazy this episode is gonna be relabeled the mixed strategy that's gonna be the uh right like, relabel it. Like, it is now the mixed strategy um <laughs> now I, i'm on facebook but i'm on there just to troll family members like that's my only thing i do on it now like i i all my all, i got a lot of family up in georgia and I tweeted out during the whole like election like recount nonsense, saying we need to recount in Georgia, not because I think it was rigged or anything. I just don't trust y'all to count. Like I, all I do is I just throw all my family. Most of them have me blockers, you know. I don't blame them, but yeah, my my family minus like my dad, pretty much. My dad's like libertarian adjacent, like he's close. Mm-hmm. Um, so he interacts with my Facebook. My wife does, obviously, of course. Um, but other than that everyone that's my family or people I went to high school with kind of leave me alone on Facebook. They're just kind of like, okay, Jacob's this crazy libertarian now who just constantly talks about politics. <laughs> mm. So my, my sister's a, a big, big lefty. So she, uh, she, and I don't get along on Facebook. So she, she hasn't blocked me or unfriended me, but she just completely has me on mute and see, doesn't comment on anything I put up, put out. My, my sister could be a lefty. I don't know. I just know she's dumb. I guess all I know about her politics is that I, I can always trust that I have the dumbest take. On literally anything. That's all I know about a politics. Like, I'll see you post anything political. I'm just like, I know it's going to be stupid as hell. C is, my sister, I love I love the desk because she's my, my, my family. But C is a, the epitome of white woman. I mean, vegan after one podcast. Not even a podcast, like a 70 minute like, TikTok, vegan. Um, my sister's been vegan for oh, over 10 years, 11 years. So, she's actually the one that got me into, I was vegan for about 
five or six, five years, about five and a half. I stopped during when the COVID lockdowns happened. Um, I was like, yeah, you know, stuff's getting too serious. Things are getting too hard. This diet is just one unnecessary uh, annoyance for me to have to keep up. I kind of kept it up for a while out of more like pride because after a while, I kind of like didn't care as much about it. But I was mm. like, oh, I committed to doing this. I wanted to kind of prove that you didn't have to be a crazy leftist to be vegan and to like depoliticize it. And I still like eat a lot of like vegan things. I don't do dairy really so much, but uh, I've, I've reintroduced. Yeah, you, you, you look like you don't do dairy. I look like I don't do dairy. <laughs> what I don't have, I don't have giant man boobs, and I'm not all yes. bloated and stuff, yeah. right? Yes, you know, you're bloated. This is peak <laughs> man performance, Jacob. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I actually, you know, I think, you know, I would do raw milk if I was going to do cow milk because I think that's the mm-hmm. best way to do it. But I don't know. I get used to my non-dairy milks, no, and I'm not, I don't do milk because it tastes disgusting. I guess like I. Yeah, somebody made yeah. a, I think it wasn't Nick Ashley who made a Twitter poll with like, how do you drink your milk? And I was just like, ill. Like, even back when I, before I went vegan, I was like, who drinks milk? Yeah. Like, I, he was just like, I want a nice, fresh glass of, of cold milk. You put chocolate syrup in it and maybe we'll have a conversation. But like, you but gotta like, like pour up, like, like, like this much milk, this much chocolate. Basically, just give me the syrup. And then we'll. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, if I have like, I don't know, fresh baked chocolate chip cookies or something and i want to dip them in milk i mean that's like the only times i can remember ever pouring a glass of milk in my life yeah, i i don't even i don't even need cereal like that's how much i don't like milk i don't need cereal because of it i just i don't know i was vegan for about let's see two weeks i tried it for two weeks and my entire body broke out in hives i don't know what it is there's something inside this vegan like i didn't do fruits and vegetables like an actual healthy diet i just had a bunch of vegan burgers and vegan hot dogs and shit oh yeah well there's and, a lot of uh additives yeah, in there and my, you know, my body rejected it hard i mean i yeah. was my like from here down was bright red i was just i couldn't go to work i had to lay in bed and just like not move because everything hurt and it's it was now what it was is my uh the only reason I was I at all really give it a chance is I have a, some hippie cousins that are like the long hair, skinny, vegan, weed smoking hippie people, and they come. Over, I had an apartment for like seven months before I ever went to shit, um, and they would come over and they bring vegan food, but they also would bring weed and beer, and so I accepted the vegan food on the condition that they would bring the weed and the beer. That was the only reason I tolerated it. But well, you know, what's funny and like to connect this back to what we are supposed to be talking about, it was actually because of my being vegan that I actually, through happenstance, probably even became libertarian and met the Mises Caucus. Because while I was vegan, I got involved in like local vegan meetup groups. And there was this one girl who was a libertarian and she was friends with people who were in the Mises Caucus. So it was actually, that was sort of like one of those weird, like as a Christian, I kind of look back, you know, I think you do, like we all do this. Like we look back and go, okay, like, why did I do that dumb thing? And it's like, you know what? Probably I had to do that dumb thing for me to be in this position for this thing to happen. And so it's like, I'm still still waiting for that second part. Like I'm still in the dumb things. I'm still waiting for that second. Like, okay, what is that going to lead to? (laughs) Cause it's like, like four (laughs) years now, this dumb sit in a row. I'm waiting for it. Like, ah, finally, this is why I mean, a whole baked chicken right now based (laughs) whole baked chicken, right? As long as it's not, I, I could eat like a whole like oven roasted chicken, but like, if you got like a whole fried chicken and sat down and ate that, Oh my gosh. Like that's, 
I, I would probably throw up. He's from Texas. Like this is some legit like Texas. Yeah. Uh, I'll go. I'll go to Publix. I'll get a single popcorn chicken and a single giant rotisserie chicken, and I'm just like fucking sick. Rotisserie chickens okay, better than fried. Just fried fried chickens are so so much grease and oh my god. Like I like yeah. fried chicken, but a whole one like oh no. No, no, like, no, no, no. Deep, deep fried, I, I, I'll deep fry a turkey and just go to town. Like that is, I had a turkey deep fry in my apartment, and that was my go-to. Ma- I oh, fucking love turkey. I slept I'm, next to a turkey a few weeks ago. A, like a living one, a, like a live the, turkey. So, um, my friend, the, my friend Grant had a uh, a get together with all Mises Caucus people. We had Adam Nutter come out and do comedy, mm-hmm. and we all and we camped out in his backyard. And he has like this little farm, this little homestead, and he's got chickens, he's got ducks, and he's got a wild. He's got like he's got two turkeys. And the turkey literally all night does gobble, 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 gobble over and over again. <laughs> this is like of all the things I expected in this podcast, I did not expect you to do a turkey impression. That was like the furthest from I had like, like baits in my head. I always think they're gonna happen. This thing like, possibly happen. I'm like, what's you expect? Jacob's gonna do a turkey impression. <laughs> l- l- listen, you join the Macy's caucus, you you camp out, do weird drugs, you meet some turkeys. Do some weird stuff with them. We don't talk about yeah. it, and you know it's definitely you not, a not a Florida man. You say not a Florida man. That sounds like a typical Florida Friday. <laughs> Plus, yeah, the, what's, the only thing missing is is wrestling crocodiles. Then, then it's man, actually Florida. I I, say, I I have a crocodile story from work. So I, I worked here let's see a year into my job. Um, and we're doing this thing on as built. So this uh, mosaic just has this giant. They make it they basically make a pond that have all the water flow into. And because mosaic has all it is with the county, it's supposed to be you make the pond, and before you put water in it, you got to get it approved. So we had to go out to every 10, 15 feet get a CPS side. Because the mosaic is so crooked, when it's so is the government, they can wait ten years before they send it in. So they wait ten years to actually do it. So by the time we get to come out there, it's, it's full of water. And it's growing up. So we're going through water up to our nips. There's trees everywhere. It's just disgusting. So I'm walking into it, and it's like above my ankle. And I step on something. I look down, and I see a baby gator just squirming all around under my foot. <laughs> so I let it up and go, oh, no big deal. I look up. I see it running towards mama. And I I have never moved so fast in my ass. I hauled ass. <laughs> I'm one of the truck. My coworker who's sitting there smoking a cigarette, like, the fuck you doing? Get back to work. But there's a gator. He opened the truck door and hopped in. It's left it for me to dive into it. Like, it was a fucking mess. All right. Before before we get back to the Mises Caucus, I need, I need to verify one thing. Is that Batman Beyond on your T-shirt? Yes, it is. I made it. That's awesome. Okay. Yes. I, I actually just started watching it uh, last year. Because that- my mom would not let me watch it. Really? I was allowed to watch Batman, Superman, Justice League, but she saw that Batman movie when they're dancing in cages and was like, no Christian set of mine is going to watch women dancing cages. And so just, I never got, and my aunt, but my aunt, she's, she's married with kids, watched it by herself and would talk to me about it. So she's like, you said, you watch this one? Yeah, I'm like, no, I can't. She goes, well, it's really cool. And your mom's lame. It's like, well, I know that. So I started uh, last year, and it's fucking fucking great, man. It's solid. So, wow, no yeah, words. Well, I couldn't watch Power Rangers <laughs> either. Like I was like my my mom. Her standard for new shows was is you gotta ask for more toys. That was the standard. And so all my what I was allowed to watch was how expensive are the toys for it. 
So it's a fair metric, I guess. I don't know, bottom line, looking back on it, it's probably a smart move. Anyway. Okay. Mises Caucus. We got enough people in the chat. Or two of them. So what exactly is it? Like, what was the who started it? What's the what's the origin story? What is this Mises Caucus? Hello. All right. So the uh, the Mises Caucus, I guess to sum it up somewhat, um, is sorry. I'm having a weird audio problem. Let me fix this. All right, um, I think it's better now. Um, I was getting weird feedback, so I was like hearing you talk twice. <laughs> um, so the Macy's Caucus uh, was started by Michael Heiss, uh, a few other people back in like 2017. They did an end to red rally, which went uh, end the Fed rally, which went really well. Up until that point, Mike and them had only really tried working in the GOP, but had basically not, you know. They had, you know, hadn't got much done except at the local level, and even then, it wasn't really like what they got done was basically through their own efforts. Like Mike got decriminalization passed in his own district, but the GOP didn't help him. He just basically did it himself, and uh, you know, went to his like local sheriff and went to his local legislators, and and basically got it done. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of you know, and and Heist and a lot of people that started it, they're people that came out of the Ron Paul movement. And, you know, the Ron Paul movement had a lot of energy behind it. And but after Ron Paul stopped, stopped running, the people that the Ron Paul movement brought in, like they didn't really know what else to do. They kind of stayed in the GOP, but like they, they weren't able to get much accomplished. Rand came in, but Rand was not the messenger that his father was. And Rand tried to play the political game more than his father did, but wasn't really getting much done. I mean, you can applaud for his efforts and say, you know, like good on him for fighting that fight but it wasn't really you know materializing into anything uh you know like like physical or tangible as far as results go um so the basis so then uh what made the end of the rally and the fed rally successful was and I'm, I'm i wasn't part of this but i'm telling it like third hand so I'm, i might be missing some details but what made it successful was that uh mike decided to uh, gather support from the lp and so then he said, listen, so the LP has been not successful, not great. Most There's a lot of libertarians who aren't even part of the party because they think the party's a joke. But then that kind of begs the question, well, what if it wasn't? What if the LP wasn't a joke? What if it accurately and adequately represented libertarian philosophy, uh, pushed libertarian candidates, and had an actual strategy for success instead of just like, you know, autistically running campaigns like we saw with Gary Johnson and even to be quite frank with, with Joe Jorgensen where they're just kind of like trying to put a libertarian spin on like a duopoly style race where they act like they're legitimate contenders and they, you know, try to, they they try to speak as if they're legitimate contenders who are going to win when no, like everyone knows that's not what they're doing. So the Mises caucus was basically uh, created to be a, like Ron Paul Revolution 2.0. And it's it's trying to take the things that Ron Paul did well and bring them into the LP, bring that culture into the LP, bring um, the strategy of decentralization and nullification that people like Michael Bolden have pushed at the 10th Amendment Center um, and to 
make the libertarian party libertarian again was kind of like the saying and to get out that like you know that there was very early on talk about a takeover of the lp because the lp has been run by a bunch of to be frank like build <coughs> more more prag types who were losers. more focused on uh so say trying, that it is. More, they, were more, they were more focused on trying to appeal to like the neoliberal elite and trying to make libertarianism like, you know, hey, we're cool too. Hey, give us a seat at the table. Hey, we're just like you. We just like for you know what I mean? And just trying to suck we also, up and we're also pedophiles. Isn't it great? <laughs> oh god, no. <laughs> um so um so yeah, and you know, the 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 reasons why the LP was chosen was that the GOP, you know, has been tried before, hasn't been that successful. The local level is where politics should be focused. And really, the LP has not that much of an uphill battle to win at the local level because the GOP and the Democratic Party, they focus more on federal and state level elections. And so, you know, it doesn't take as much money or as much uh, effort to win at the local level. And the Libertarian Party is, for better or for worse, like because of its namesake, it is what a lot of people with libertarian sentiments first look at when they either get involved into politics and they don't like the duopoly or if they're coming, like they're disenfranchised Republicans or Democrats and they're like, okay, well, I'm not this and I'm not that. What am I? And they look for that third option. And and for better or for worse, that third option that they most often look at is the Libertarian Party. Because, I mean, it has the word libertarian in it. So anyone that's even thinking they're remotely libertarian is going to look at it. Um, the problem is the libertarian movement is way bigger than the party. And a lot of people, there's a lot of small L libertarians who aren't big L libertarians. So what the Mises caucus first and foremost wants to do is to change that, to make the libertarian party, at least as far as like the messaging goes and the um, espousing of the libertarian philosophy, philosophy principles and like, you know, policy suggestions to be libertarian. Two, it's to push the focus back towards the local level and and promoting that strategy of decentralization and nullification, which we can get into, and I can explain that. Um, and, and third, it's kind of like we're not – I mean, just decentralization and nullification are great, and there's utility in that as far as like decriminalization of drugs, Second Amendment sanctuaries, uh, criminal justice reform, etc., but at the end of the day, what we really – the battle we have to win is the culture war. And the culture war that really matters isn't left versus right. It's it's us versus the state. And it's really the whole entire society against the state. But the problem is a lot of people are not awake. You know what I mean? Like they're basically like in the matrix, right? Like they, they don't realize the system that they live in, that they're basically slaves. So – one of the things that we also focus on is like trying to wake people up, trying to engage the culture and not engage the culture by kind of like this weak kind of pandering message, but engage the culture like Ron Paul did. And what did Ron do? He told the truth. <laughs> That's basically all he did. He just got up there and would speak for 20, 30 minutes, 60 minutes at a time. And he was just based as fuck. And he was just like, listen, these people are murderers. These people don't hate us because our freedom. They hate us because we're over there bombing the crap out of their countries. Hey, libertarian principles actually work. Hey, Keynesian economics is retarded. Hey, like that's basically all we need to do is to actually like not be ashamed 
to be libertarians, which unfortunately too many libertarians who have been in charge of the party in, in years and decades past have been ashamed of the principles and try to water them down and hide them because, oh, we'll offend or uh, scare away the normies by, by being principled. Well, no, actually, turns out there's a lot of people that actually are attracted to people who are principled, who are actually attracted to something that is different and isn't just like repackaged neoliberalism with a different, you know, I don't know, like a different flavor uh, added in. So that's in, that's basically, I guess, like the summary of what how the caucus started and what it is that uh, it's, it's, it's trying to do. Okay. Yeah, I got no problem with uh, wanting an LP. <clears throat> LP. I know there are some people who say like the, having the LP actively hurts LP uh, philosophy. Yeah, liber- actually having an LP actively hurts libertarian philosophy. I don't agree. I, I don't. I could see the argument, but I'm not. A, I don't care. Well, I'm, in, honestly, I don't in the past, it has. I mean, in the yeah. past, you kind of have. I mean, when you got yeah. someone like Gary Johnson and Bill Weld out there. Yeah, going under the name libertarian. Yeah, that does hurt. Honestly, the I, I saw that Zorgerson was worse. I saw Zorgerson was worse because I, I, don't, I, least, I don't know. I can't agree at there. At least Weld and stuff had like controversy around him that could like stir up uh, into libertarian dialogue. Zorgerson was just boring as hell, and people just ignored him. And I don't think he did any, like, like at least with Weld, you could say Weld would, kind of stirred up these sentiments that kind of. I would rather something. she. I would rather run a campaign with someone principled, but ineffective who gets ignored than somebody who gets a lot of attention but does a shit job with it and misrepresents what our views are oh well, so when bill weld kind of started everything i mean i really see all these music caucus stuff like they kind of seem, it seems like they kind of stem from the whole that gary johnson was a failure let's look at some of those kind of yeah started, it was so. and it's really more towards it was like bill weld was the biggest problem yeah. with that campaign i mean gary um, gary johnson was no 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 you know i mean he had an interview where he literally did that he went no 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 it's like, what, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. I will say, he had one moment. Gary Johnson had one moment that made me actually like him. Was um, someone said, after you smoke weed, you have a 25% chance of having a heart attack. And he just grabbed his chest <laughs> and fell out of his seat. I was like, okay, okay. I, my that phone was, was going most, into Gary Johnson. That was the like, most based for- moment of his campaign. <laughs> yes, yeah, so my phone was like, I want to vote for Gary Johnson. I'm like, that's a lame decision. Gotta vote for Trump. I saw that. I'm like, I don't blame you. I, I don't blame you. I might do it too. I didn't, but... Um, yeah, it's so on a local level. I, you and I have a little disagreement on local level. I, I think on local level, you should be more, uh, people should be more pragmatic and really only run based on the location because people vote by letters. They don't like very, like, in some sense, they vote more on like, philosophy and like ideas and uh, messaging, but more often than not, people vote by letters. And I think it's just playing tonight. If you're in a blue district and you could run left and make changes, do that. If you're in a red district, run red. I don't, and if you're in a, uh, areas, I don't know about areas. Like, say so an area where there's really none of these. One, you just open to start your own LP kind of thing and go from there. Like, I think it should be. I don't think it should be exclusive LP every location. Cause it can be counterproductive. Like, if you try to run LP stuff and say Bay County, which so well, so Bishop is at, that seems counterproductive to me. Cause so Bishop's only doing so much good work in this one location. Um, but I, I mean, you and I have a little disagreement on that. So let's go into that a little bit. Sure. Well, you know, I'm not against doing good work with the GOP or even, I mean, it's hard to imagine 
in today's day and age. But if you can do good work with the Democratic Party or even the Green Party, it's probably possible on some drug decriminalization stuff. It's probably possible Mm -hmm. on some criminal justice reform. Um, but I feel like a lot of them are just so woke that they wouldn't even take us seriously. But we've had we, we it, we've had some success there. Um, but I think that my problem is that I'm not against working with the GOP or the Democratic Party and trying to kind of hijack that like people vote D's and people vote R's. I just think you don't need to be in those spheres to do it. I think you can get more done by having your local LP affiliate trying to uh, run candidates. When you do that, you're actually going out into the community, uh, excuse me, and engaging with them, which is beneficial when you're doing it under the libertarian banner. And then if you don't win, okay, well, you can still form issue coalitions and work with the people in the GOP at the local level, work with the people who are elected. So to me, it's like, I don't, I don't understand what you gain from being the minority liberty GOP person that's that's in the you know your your town council or whatever versus being somebody who's an outsider and just you know through lobbying and issue coalitions and a lot of times you know, like i had this conversation with angela mccardle a lot of times even the local gops and stuff like that they aren't even that active and they don't even know what to do and uh i get like we've had our local gop basically call us up and be like oh, man this these covid mandates are awful what are we going to do about it it's like well, that's, you, yeah, you don't. You guys don't have any ideas. Like, okay, well, we can help you. We'll work yeah, together. I have a problem with that. And my thing is that if you're in an area and there is no like your local GOP is just a bunch of people meeting up, talk about the latest on Hannity episode. This you could you could easily walk in there and just hijack that and control that. And you already have the numbers at your side. Not to do it. You could like why build coalitions when you can hijack existing uh, groups of people who are already leaderless. Like you like you said. Sometimes they're leaderless, and you can walk in there and lead because that. you miss because you miss out on all the other pros of what the Mises Caucus is trying to do within the LP. Because when you do the things that you're doing with the issue coalitions, but the credit goes to the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus, and you're drawing people into that uh, that lightning rod, okay, that thing that's channeling into the culture and the energy there, that is more beneficial than when you're doing it through the GOP. The GOP gets the credit, and what is the GOP uh, lightning rod channel into the corruption and the and the swamp that Trump was never able to drain. So my problem with with that is that you can get the same work done in the LP, but then your work and your effort is uh, like the, the the reward doesn't get attributed to the GOP, and you don't. And when you do it through the LP, you create this feedback loop. Of, of getting people plugged in and, and more interested in hearing about your ideas. Like if you're just a Liberty Republican, sure, you can get some work done. But then like people aren't as drawn to just like, oh, cool, he's a good Republican. When people see a, like a third party and they're under the name Libertarian and they see them doing this work and, and they see this cultural movement, that draws people in. And that was the beauty of the Ron Paul movement was it drew a lot of people in. I don't think you can create that same culture from within the GOP. Didn't Ron Paul bring everybody in through that? Though? I mean, he ran GOP. But I, I think like he Ron Paul, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote our friend Jose here. Like, like Ron Paul was literally like, you know, a lottery ticket. Like he was literally like to me, like, uh, uh, like, I don't know, a golden calf. Like he was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Somebody who was that, that based 
and that he didn't he wasn't just at a state level or a local level he was at the federal level yeah. getting into debates and stuff on national tv back before podcasting blew up back before that and he was getting all this exposure and that's part of you know but to me it's like we don't have that right now like we have Rand paul and thomas massey in, in you know in the federal legislature, but are they affecting that kind of same change are they did they usher in the next state the next era of the ron paul movement no they really didn't so i feel like you know ron paul was a historical um event you know what i mean like that was that was an important part of history but you know like i actually agree with like you know the criticisms that like matt erickson makes and that jose galson makes and like you know you know and it's like i it's like i always get frustrated because like no i agree with you like i lost you completely oh you lost like you me? cut out you, you, you cut out for a solid like seconds my wi-fi is being complete shit so i switched over to my hotspot my phone and during the interim i kind of lost it they're backing it up about 30 seconds maybe a minute to be killed all right so i, I lost um, it so my, my thought to you, so you brought up how, uh, well, Ron Paul did it through the GOP. Well, Ron Paul did it through the GOP through a special set of circumstances that I don't think are repeatable because he was able to get elected over and over again because of like just his position in his community. And he was able to get in before podcasting blew up and before that was an option. And he was able to be, you know, based as fuck on the national level and he got all this exposure, but you know, Massey and Rand, they haven't been able to create that same thing at the national level. And really, that's the only benefit of like, if you're going to do a Ron Paul, you should be doing it at the national level. You can't be a Ron Paul of your local county. But what you can have is instead of having the movement be based upon a person who keeps running for president, who's already got name recognition because he's in Congress, what you do instead is you create that same energy and phenomena, that same culture but within the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus, which guess what? Those aren't contingent on one man and they aren't contingent on having to continuously run like, you know, it's not Ron Paul having to run over and over and over again. So that's the benefit there is that you're creating this mechanism that has this feedback loop where it can continue that, that same energy and be like a, um, you know, it's like it's like a light that all the bugs and, and stuff get get drawn in towards, whereas the GOP can accomplish the same thing. But that light is not going to bright nearly as uh, shine nearly as bright to, to bring in the people that we want to bring, because to me, this is a lot about time preference and culture. And you can get work done within the GOP at the local level, but that will be short term victories with no long term plan. So the Mises Caucus is the best of both worlds, where you can have your local short-term victories and the long-term plan of engaging with the culture. You mentioned earlier about uh, when you said when you do it to DOP, credit goes to DOP. When you do it to LP, credit goes to LP. And I'm not the uh, – how do I put this? If the LP wants to go through this, uh, go through. If you want to say the LP goes through this route and makes the political change, people come into the LP and you use the LP as a platform to point them to. Okay, well, here's where you can go learn more stuff. You know, if the Mises Caucus was directly pointing Mises Institute every five minutes, every success, which I think they do a lot of, I would be, I'm okay with that. I don't see how that is um, exclusive only to the LP. Uh, I think if you if you people get into politics now in different uh, ways. I mean. You young people are getting into it more. People who are older are questioning more. I don't see the DOP 
uh, credit wise, yeah, it's gonna go to GOP because it's GOP doing it. But education wise, I don't see it being um, that hard to turn GOP people into pointing to Mises Institute, pointing to um, Tom Woods, Bob, because I, I, because you, you have a mixed culture. Now, granted, the LP has a mixed culture too, but the the mixed culture is that we have a bunch of you know, soy boys and, and prags that are really ineffective and really like how it, it's really a, st- a, a testament to how ineffective the LP is that the Mises caucus within two or three short years is already on the verge of taking over. Um, yeah. So really it's like, yeah, it's, it's but, but, guys, taking yeah, over so, done. but the GOP is connected to the swamp. And so even at the local level that like you're, it's kind of like trickle down economics almost like that stuff trickles down and you don't, it, it's harder because you're, when people come to the GOP, they're coming to the GOP for like all of it. They're not just coming for your local rendition of the GOP. Like they come to the GOP and they vote R not because of what you're doing in the local level, but because of the entirety of what the GOP does and everything they do at Washington primarily. Because ninety percent of what people focus on when they get involved in politics is at what happens at Washington. So, and then anything you do, if you accomplish anything great, only like that credit gets added into that that giant pot of the GOP. And then we see how the GOP like has always stabbed liberty, liberty movements in the back. We had the Tea Party. We had the Ron Paul movement. You know what I mean? We had what Amash and, and Massey were trying to do um, with their Liberty Caucus. Like they always get they always get screwed once they get to the national level. And then at the local level, I just don't see how you can create that same uh, culture because you're not getting like when people come to the Libertarian Party, and when you go around and you're knocking on doors and you're requesting for ballot access because you're part of the libertarian party, that is like some people look at it as a negative that the LPS to fight for ballot. I'm access. back. It's, I view uh, it. You hear me? Oh God! I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that I lost you again. I can hear you. <laughs> so good. I'm sure when you're talking, all you see is this Dave Smith and Michael Heights and these people in the sky going, "Yes." Standard of base, Jacob. Standard of base. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, my problem is my camera is covering you up right now. So whenever you freeze up, I don't see you. I'm going to move you over here. Man, I don't blame you for covering my ugly face. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect sense. Respect. I actually do it. Well, like I could see you, but like I just couldn't see that you were frozen. But I do that because otherwise, if you're over here, my tendency is to look over here and then I'm not looking at the camera. And it's like I'm mm. trying to look at the camera because that's what you're supposed to do. See, I'm just staring at myself like the entire time. I'm questioning my head movement, my hat glare. Like I, I'll have gotta, a like, only except it with Scott Holton, who I kind of stared at. Like, what do you want to talk about? Star Wars? Okay. Cool. Yeah, and uh, Jason Sapers and the people. I'm kind of just like, he's up my podcast. Neat. Like, and honestly, the Scott Holman was so funny because he'd talk and he'd stop talking. And I'd be like, what's he waiting on? Oh, no, me. it's time for me to talk. <laughs> time to oh, stop my... using McDonald's. Do- <laughs> <laughs> stop being it's such a cheap McDonald's, ass, Caleb, and go get your own Wendy's. damn Wi-Fi. It's Wendy's, not McDonald's, okay? We are a Wendy's respecter in this house. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so what, what was the last no. thing you heard before you cut out? Uh, I think we were on, uh, we were somewhere about uh, swamp connections to GOP. Oh yeah, um, I I don't disagree. I don't I don't know. Um, my my I know my local GOP. The connections are more 
people are into the talking national politics, I don't think there's any real connection besides namesake. Between, so me, I have a good metaphor here. I'm going to use McDonald's as a metaphor. If I was trying to get more people in our in, in America to eat healthy, and let's say I was, I decided, well, I can go and invest my time and money into this new fast food chain that's up and coming, and they have really good food, really good prices that are really healthy. And I think that if I grow that, that'll help create a movement of people who are eating healthier. Because like, because like people get fast food because it tastes good, it's convenient, it's cheap, and I've, I'm I'm going to do that, but but not but through a less established franchise. Or it's like, or oh, what if I did McDonald's and I just like try to find ways to within the system of McDonald's promote people to eat healthier and get the unhealthy things off the menu on my local McDonald's. And it's like, cool, all right, like maybe you do that, and maybe in your local community you actually do somehow through your efforts at McDonald's to get people to eat healthier. But then it's like, do you think you've changed the culture of McDonald's? Do you think that 90% of people are going to McDonald's now because suddenly they want to eat healthy? Like, no. So like you could, so like, I mean, it's not the best analogy, but it's the best I come up with. Like, I mean, I actually, in that, in that analogy, I would, I'm, I'm still thinking the McDonald's option sounds better because people are all going to go to McDonald's and they can see the healthy options on the side of the menu. And there will be people in the McDonald's group who choose to do that and they're going to save the ones who aren't. And but then the 90% of people who go to McDonald's aren't going to go there to, to eat healthy anyway. Because like they go to, the no one goes do. to McDonald's. But, but you're, but you're missing out. I think you're, you're missing out on like, uh, there are ways to attract, like put it this way, there are ways from your new franchise that you can attract the people who would go to McDonald's and pick healthy options. And then at the same time, build a new customer base. I really, I, mean, I, I can't imagine any new fast food place with healthy food, making any like the healthiest options you have time. a subway. I mean, look at, like, look I, at how, look at how Chipotle came onto the scene. I mean, and Chipotle kind of presented itself as, Hey, we're, um, and like, it's a little bit more expensive than McDonald's, but still, I mean, not much McDonald's prices have gone up. They're not as cheap as they used to be, but Chipotle, well, man, like, hey, look, our- are six cents cheaper. Okay. You, we respect Biden on this podcast. He made my hot dogs six cents cheaper. And because of sweet flacing, the calories are also 40% less. So I am losing weight and saving money. Thank you, president Biden. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Man, when we start the Tower of Babel podcast, it's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun. You're, you're messing up my juju. I keep on going on great monologues, and then you're like, "Ah, oh, man, I didn't. I missed all of that." And then you interrupt me with like, "That is this podcast. That's what this podcast is for." It is oh, so I can crack jokes when people make serious political debates and conversation. Like my, my goal, I, mean, I want to, I want to get Thomas A. Lindsay on to talk about Lincoln, and I can just be like, Lincoln. No, who hates the Cedar was uh, this guy, and I get this to go on some dumb tangent that makes no sense. Like that's the dream. I want, I want my goal is to have one of my favorite people on the podcast just leave halfway through the stream. That's my dream. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like I can see where you're coming from, but I just think. You know, to, to me, if if I have the ability, like to me, it's like math. Like I always like to boil things down to math too, and it's like if if like your goal is I want to achieve X, and that's a short term X equals short term uh, victories in local politics to thwart off tyranny. It's like okay, cool. I also want to accomplish X. If we have <coughs> if we have two options that can accomplish X, but one option gives you X plus Y, and the other one gives you just just X plus like a tenth of why 
Like that's basically where I'm coming from is I think that you can, we, I think through the Mises caucus, we're going to be able to achieve those things at the local level. But, but I just think that there's no way to say that you can build the same culture of Liberty in the GOP compared to what you can build in the Mises caucus and the LP when history shows us what happens every time a culture of liberty tries to grow within the GOP. It just gets trampled and kicked out or people get corrupted by power. And so I, I don't see any other way out of that. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, right. Will you guys actually be using political power or are you just going to grandstand and make messages? So this gets into like what our uh, political strategy is, which is decentralization and nullification uh, secession technically too, although that's kind of like, you know, 20 chess moves down the board. Um, not something oh, you lead if, with. If Rob, if Rob's still in the chat, he's going to pipe up because he was going after the, uh, him and Buck, Don, Buck, uh, Johnson. I don't know his last name. Buck from Canada, him and, uh, him and Buck were going after the LP of Texas, LP Mises caucus of Texas for being oh, like, yeah. uh, they were like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Rob is, if you're not following Rob people, Rob is based as hell. Everyone follow him. I'll put it so, I'm going to put this link in the description. <laughs> yeah, Rob's cool. Um, so, but yeah, so I would recommend checking out the 10th Amendment Center. Um, also, we could plug a pod. I did a podcast with Mike Meharry from the 10th Amendment Center, and we went into really deep detail. Was, I know he worked at the 10th Amendment Center. Huh. Yeah, he's the communications director. Um, so he's, he's great. Oh, yeah, make, he, he's awesome. Great Christian anarchist. His work in the 10th Amendment Center is awesome. Uh, big, big fan of him. Um, also has, a, has his own podcast called Godarchy, which oh, I yeah, I, love. Checking out. I haven't so, seen a new episode of that in forever, man. Are you still doing it? I don't know if he's still doing it or not, but it was, it was my go-to for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I had a great conversation with him. We went into more detail about it. I'll just give like the, the, the quick summary. Basically it's like the 10th amendment. I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but it's like, I think the 10th amendment is something like not all the powers that are reserved for the people and the local governments uh that they have are listed in this document and basically it's like a limiting clause saying that basically unless the constitution explicitly gives the federal government the power to do something it doesn't have the power to do it yeah and so what you can do at the local level is any unconstitutional law based upon the 10th amendment you can draft, and the Tenth Amendment Center, Tenth Amendment Center, does this. They help people draft this legislation, and it's it's worked for drug decriminalization, uh, dr um, criminal justice reform, Second Amendment sanctuaries, uh, yeah. lots of other things. You can, at your local level, like your little county or or district or whatever, you can pass this legislation. That basically, what it does is it cuts off the enforcement of the law because. The local law enforcement, yeah, they do enforce federal laws, but you can basically bar them from doing that by at the local level saying, no, we're nullifying this because unconstitutional in our county. This law will not be enforced. We will completely ignore it. You can even do it statewide like you've seen in Colorado and whatnot. So um, that's what the strategy is. It's not so much like we don't think that we can get into Washington and win any meaningful victories. But what we can do is – uh, these decentralization and nullification uh, strategies at the at the local level, which I mean, a like those are great battles uh, against tyranny to help prevent people from getting uh, incarcerated or aggressed upon against the state, and then b through that activism and and people like seeing what we're doing, 
that is, you know, just one, like I was talking about earlier, a lightning rod for bringing people in and, and growing the movement. The idea is once you get enough counties in a state, like built up enough with enough libertarian uh, activism, people who are members of the local LPs, they've passed a lot of nullification and stuff. The idea is that, you know, down the road, enough counties could band together or even a small state or something, and they could seriously, if they wanted to, start pushing secession again. That obviously comes with risks. So that's, you know, you know, (laughs) I'm not saying go out there and do it tomorrow. And I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying to take it lightly, but I am pro secession, and I think that it's something that, you know, we need to push. And I don't think that uh, I think there are legitimate criticisms about like worrying about what the federal government would possibly stoop to yeah. to prevent it. Uh, yeah. But I think it's important to do it anyway, and and say, uh, listen, yeah, like, we mean, don't like force them to do that, and then really see what happens I mean, when when they decide to accept assessing. themselves like that. You look at success and like, look at the shit Lincoln pulled. You think the government's not gotten worse since then? <laughs> right, like, exactly. But the idea is that feel. the idea is like, if you did that, and then the government decides to get even more totalitarian, that can actually draw a lot of support in. Yeah. Um, and there, are, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pro successful all the way. Did you see? Um, was it Sarah Silverman talking about? Basically, yep. the idea that like we and should Matt have a Walsh. divorce Matt Walsh from the uh, Daily Wire yeah. talking about it. So it's it's not so as it's it's becoming more of a popular idea. Oh, yeah. You could say it's almost like a like liberty is getting popular. Like popular liberty is a thing now. Like it's yeah. But I just think you know I, I mean I, I think we all can kind of see that the state's gotten so bad that there mm-hmm. are people left and right who are becoming more open to the ideas of liberty. I just oh, yeah. think that it's better to capitalize on that through something that's actually named libertarian than to mm-hmm. do it through the giant swap monsters of the the the, G, the GOP or the or the the DNC. So that's you know really what it comes down to. Now, you know, I, I, exceptions exist. I understand New Hampshire and Florida have some special circumstances and I understand that like if there was some kind of emergency like an immediate like threat of tyranny that you had to stop and you don't have a local LP affiliate yet, then yeah, maybe you should look in the short run just for your own safety and protecting your community going through the GOP. I actually think there is some utility to that argument, but I would win that short-term victory and then use that influence that I just gained and be like, okay, cool. So here's what I'm doing. We're going, I'm going to like, it's like you're all either going to come along with me in making this GOP local affiliate entirely libertarian, like push it that far. Or if you don't, I'm taking all my, you know, influence and power and prestige that I've built up here. And I'm, I'm, you mean your wealth, power and influence, your wealth, power and influence. Listen, I'm not, I'm not (laughs) against wealth, power and influence. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that I know, like the paleos and the post libertarians have talked about are not things that I think are, you know, contrary to what the Mises caucus talks about, you know, I mean, having no one's going around, like Dave said in his conversation with Jason, like we've never, our message has never been, oh man, being, being rich sucks. Nobody should make money. Money's useless. (laughs) Money is the root of all evil and no one's ever have any of it. We should all be poor. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put my faith in money because Jesus warns against that, but I'm not against, uh, you know, money's a tool. And yeah. if you view money as a tool, it's okay to say, "Hey, I, I'm I'm okay with getting more ability to to have more tools to get more work done." See, and I, if I, that's, 
I'm the opposite. I think money is payable. I think no one should have any money. And I offer a wonderful service where you can send me your money and I will dispose of it for you in the most uh, Florida way possible. And so to do so, please, you can go and buy Democracy is Cringe t-shirts. Say your love, say your hatred of democracy and get web that cumbersome money. You know, I'm, I'm available. It's shameless <laughs> as hell. I want you to all money sent my way will be spent exclusively on the highest Florida cocaine and hookers. Yeah, you need to give Caleb and me money so I can drink beer other than shitty Miller Lite. That's what I've, that's what I've come to. Folks. You don't deserve better beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a craft beer guy, and I was like, I'm out of beer. What am I going to drink tonight? Bria's like, there's some Miller Lite in the back. I was like, we still have this? <laughs> I was like, I wasn't even in our fridge. I was like, whatever. The fact beer. that you hate it so much and I'm still drinking it, maybe you have a problem, Jacob. Have you considered... Oh, I think that was, I mean, I think that the level of self-hatred and masochism, it was already evident by the fact that I'm like in the loser brigade groups and had them on my podcast. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that I, should, that I, should that be, was... it should be pretty self-evident that I have some kind of weird fetish it, for, 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 for torture and punishment. It bugged me so much that when they were saying your tweet, they, they said for my profile, so now my pick is just like in their group. I don't like that. Oh, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, it's, they're, it's they're weird so... to see my face places still. They're so pathetic. And I, 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 I went on there. And I was like, guys, if you're going to be losers and obsess over me, at least have the courtesy to tag me in the post. Yeah. OK, so that I can come and watch because I told them like my feelings were hurt. Like, like, I thought that we had a special connection. I thought you guys loved me. And the fact that you're talking about me, and you didn't even invite me to be there. Like, that's just that hurt. no one hates me, me more than me. Let me in. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's like uh, who who did I say it to? Uh, oh, when I was on when I was going on Reed Coverdale's show, and everyone's like accusing him of hating Christians. I was like, hey, back off, my boy Reed. He doesn't hate Christians, and even if he does, nobody hates Christians more than I do. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, I, as a Catholic, we we murdered them, so I might have to beat them. <laughs> I might have to beat them. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh my gosh um yeah no listen i mean everyone's gonna have different opinions on strategy and listen i think the mises caucus makes a lot of sense i think that we get a lot of good work done if you if you hear my arguments and you're like "Eh, it's not for me i don't really care the only thing i even really care about is just that i think everybody whether you're in the mises caucus or you're, you're trying the gop route or you're an agorist or whatever I, don't, I think it's okay to have friendly conversations like this and we can disagree and have arguments with each other. But when you go out there and you start like taking shots at people and, and like, sh- and like shitting on people, that's when I'm kind of like, all right, dude, like we, we, we don't know how to create, like, I hate when anyone acts like, I know this is what's going to create libertarian utopia. It's like, we don't know exactly how to get from where we are to a more libertarian society. All we have are theories that we're going to test. But Mises Caucus is a young venture. We've tried the GOP for years upon years. And I'm just very skeptical of somebody coming in and going, but guys, guys, if we just do it for 10 more years, it'll work this time. It's uh, like, 15. bro, like it, it's 15. 15. I'm in, I'm in the stats. It's 15. Okay. You have to, I, I, you have to, well, yeah. we can't, we're counting all Kelly years. So we, we're kind of like, we're not really sure yet. We're still negotiating, but we count all Kelly years. But listen, there's a lot of stuff that like, you know, Andrew at Popular Liberty talks about and Matt mm-hmm. talks about, like, listen, build your wealth. I'm all for that. 
Um, I think it's even wise to encourage libertarians to be a bit more Machiavellian at times. I actually really loved, and this is something that the way we're you talking about. It. Hold on, hold on, back it up. What? Back it up. You said you say it one more time. Well, say the, uh, the book, the book. Say it. No, I'm I'm not you saying just, it again. You guys have this weird you, fetish with the with that. I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I I said it once. You may not well, say well, it again. You hopped on that limey British cunt for saying Mycees. Now I gotta hop on you for saying how do you pronounce it? Mac. It's Machiavellian, <laughs> right? No. How do you say it? Machian, like Machia- Machiavellian. Is like a, you're not pronouncing oh, Machiavellian. Oh, God, there that, we go. That is such a there little. That is such there a nitpick. Was was We are artistic libertarians <laughs> in this group. We correct our spelling. Here's how I knew libertarians were autistic. When I was in the music caucus group, I saw Tom Woods and other people debating the Oxford comma. That's how I knew I found my people. Because these no, people nothing. are debating the greatest things. We we in the Macy's caucus, we had like a month-long tirade where we were debating whether men should wear shorts. Because Tom Woods doesn't think that men should wear shorts. Men should not wear shorts. I'm going to say it now. He's wrong on Hawaiian shorts, but he's right on the Hawaiian Hawaiian shirts. He's wrong. But if you're going to wear a Hawaiian right. shirt, you have to wear shorts. That's my whole no. point. It's got to no. be both or nothing. If you Maybe wear Hawaiian shorts, Florida. if you wear Florida. Hawaiian shorts and pants, then you deserve to be punched in the face. Listen, listen. You got to wear your <laughs> shirt, and you got to wear your skinny jeans, and you got to have one whip in the left leg. Okay. And you gotta cuff the right leg. You gotta cuff the right leg and have a tail in the left leg. This is the Florida. This is Florida culture. I'm saying it with you now. These are trade secrets, Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. But um, so so yeah, I'm okay with Machiavellian uh tactics, like 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 what Pete was talking about, where uh go to DeSantis and say, listen, look at the margins of last election. You can either give us what we want. Or we're going to run somebody against you. Like, I think, like, yeah. we're actually talking about, like, listen, we don't want to run anybody against, against DeSantis if we don't have to. But don't just not run anybody for free. Go talk to their staff and be like, listen, we won't run anybody against you. Or if we run somebody, we're going to find somebody who's like, you know, super anti-cop or super legalized heroin and run them like a, a more left-leaning guy who's going to steal votes from the Democrats, not the Republicans. Well, and Why is and it always so, heroin? Like, why is everyone's go-to heroin? I'm waiting for someone to say bassons. Like, that's that's the one I'm hoping for here. Oh my god, I I have a really okay. I want to go for it. So so I'll go one better than bath salts. Uh, can we just talk about normalizing Zyklon B? Yes. Is that too far? If I can't pronounce it, I want to ingest it. That's my policy. I, I just I have to do that because I know it's going to own the libs and 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 that's uh, if I don't own the libs at least once per podcast then like what's the point? It's a waste of time. Now I it's have to uh, retract something earlier. I said Rob is based. I have to retract that statement after this. Uh, Rob, you've lost my full support. I have to block you on Twitter. Basketball shorts are faking gay, and you shouldn't wear them. I'm sorry. Public announcement: Basketball shorts are faking gay. Okay, I. I mm. But yeah, I think I think that I'm really we, disappointed with Rob now. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I I don't like basketball shorts because there's not enough pockets. But I'm not against basketball shorts in general. Um, I I like and I I always wear like cargo shorts. Like I mean, I need my pockets. I need if it doesn't have at least eight pockets, mm. three of which are those small little ones that you can't put anything in. 
then I don't want it. What are you carrying in like, a bunch of pocket knives and like? Po- oh, I know. Hold on. Let me guess. Let me guess. Um, anatomy to state, <laughs> chaos theory, economics in one lesson, your peace, constitution and authority, and a sort pamphlet of all Michael Malice's best tweets. How do I do? It's actually just a bunch of naked pictures of Dave Smith. Fail. <laughs> Dang it. I left too soon. I said to stay in the Mises caucus. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing, too, that I mean, like, I didn't even get into this, but like the Mises caucus, we got freaking Dave Smith. Yeah, we got Tom freaking Woods, Tom Woods. Woods. Yes, got like. Yeah, you have all the cool people. That's, you guys I... have Pete Quahones. And like, listen, I, I like Pete. But he's not. He's great. He he's not Dave. He's not Tom. You know, you, you guys got Jason and Pete, and we got Dave and Tom and and Scott. So I think we win there. <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna wait and see what Thomas Little wins those sides. That's my that's my deciding factor. He's just retired and being awesome as always. And this is like I, I see. I, I've honestly considered renaming my Twitter to, uh, Thomas Little Wins Respecto. And just posting memes that make I have memes of Thomas Little Winslow that I have made for the way occasions when I get a reference him on Twitter because he's he is the best. Oh my god. Um, okay. We've kind of gone over Artemis Caucus. I, I think I understand it better. Uh, I hope everyone listening also understands it better. Um, I do have a few side questions for Jacob here because I've actually I've talked to Jacob a lot and I've never had him on the podcast. And so I have some questions now. We're moving away from Mises Caucus into some questions for Jacob. So, okay. Uh, the nomination, neo Calvinists, correct? Um, like I, how do you? Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's like that's my theological leaning, so, so to speak. So, like, I go to a non, my church is technically like non denominational, but, uh, but yeah, my theological beliefs, I would say, are sort of like, you know, neo Calvinist based, although I'm not. You know, I have some disagree. I really don't have any place where there's 100% agreement. But the yeah. ones I find the, the most agreement with are the uh, the Dutch reformers or the neo Calvinists. The neo Calvinists. All I, I don't know anything about neo Calvinism. I know I know a little bit about Calvinism. Where does the uh, the differences in neo Calvinists and regular Calvinists? It's mainly like uh, so Abraham Kuyper and the Dutch reformers. It's just it's basically like a continuation of the Calvinist tradition, but like. Just, just more writings, more like you know, slightly different, like like building upon it, taking it in a kind of a different direction. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the neo Calvinists are different from the uh, like, and I don't know the history as well as maybe I, I should. I'm still learning about that, but I would say the only big difference between maybe the neo Calvinists and like Calvinism regular. Um, is probably just areas of focus. And I feel like the neo-Calvinists don't spend as much time focusing on soteriology and, mm-hmm. and like uh, predestination. And they kind of like fleshed out Calvinist theology and philosophy uh, on, a, on a deeper level, you know, and, and, and made it made it more of like, gave it more of like a tradition with more depth to it than like when just like, I don't have any, big problem with john calvin but like it's kind of like with luther and calvin it's like they are defined by oh well you know like here's our major things where we are taking a stand against like the historic church and then it's like they got defined by things about their doctrine and that became like you know everything that most everything that people 
know about Calvinism is basically like from John Calvin and his views on on salvation and predestination. And it's like the Dutch reformers, I think, like created a more like a whole well-rounded theology that, that touches into more areas of life as far as like and I'm still still learning and reading more about them. I'm actually doing a podcast uh, next Tuesday with Greg uh, Baus, who I've had on my uh, podcast before, and he's uh, more of like a biblical scholar and 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 person who studied this stuff. So I'm having him back on to have more conversations with him about Abraham Kuyper. And, you know, like one of the big things he pushed was an idea called uh, sphere sovereignty. And it's kind of like a neo-Calvinist perspective on like the the Bible's view of authority. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's going to be an interesting conversation. Like I kind of get sphere sovereignty, but I want to flesh it out more deeply in a podcast because it kind of informs what like our views are on like Romans 13 and the idea of like, it, it connects to the ideas of governance and liberty. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. Uh, Neil, so, Neil Cal, all I really uh, know about Calvinists is the, I know I know very little about Calvinists. I know, like you said earlier, I know more about Calvin, and mainly because because Catholic, I know a little bit about Calvin and Luther. That's really it. Um, Neil Calvin, I know the Calvin was very big on Lord of Marian doctrines. The Catholic Church taught that Calvin was very himself was very big on believing the Marian teachings. Uh, Neo Calvinists, his stances on Mary, just kind of like ignored or did any like carryover from Calvin himself. You're talking about like Mary as far assumption. as people print. Uh, assumption of Mary, Mary in heaven, right hand of God, Queen of Heaven, those kind of things. Like the I don't the see it talked or, about. I don't see it talked about very much as far as I've looked so far. Um, you know, as as someone who kind of leans Calvinist, and I've talked to other Calvinists and stuff, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's not really a focus on it, but I don't know mm-hmm. if there's really a big conflict there. Yeah, where it'd be like, oh wow, this is like. I, I mean, I'm sure there are some and Calvinism is a very like there are some people like a lot of Calvinists out there who are like hyper Calvinists and they're very annoying. And my so uh, my they, scoutmaster was a Calvinist in Boy Scouts. Yeah, he was. A, he's also a judge. And I know how I feel about a judge not believing in free will. My my problem with hyper Calvinists is that they, they take I, I, I believe in sola scriptura. But it's like to me, what like for what sola scriptura means is that like it is scripture alone that we derive what we know about God. And I, I think that scripture trumps like church hierarchy and authority. I don't think that the Bible, like, I mean, like literally, I think it's just self-evident like Bible because of it's just a finite book doesn't touch on every area of life. And like there are, there are topics and philosophies we derive. Well, that's, just from the Bible. Seven, that's just because you're missing like seven books. Oh yeah. <laughs> But there's there's things we derive from the Bible that aren't like explicit in it. Like the concept of the Trinity is not something that like honestly is explicitly talked about in in the Bible, but it's something we derive from it. And we created this like philosophical concept to describe what the Bible is talking about. So I'm a Calvinist, but a lot of Calvinists reject Molinism. And I really don't. I would not say Molinism is like something I would claim is 100% found in the Bible to the same degree the Trinity is, but I think that it's not in conflict. And I think Molinism actually kind of helps to explain, uh, kind of like reconcile the Calvinist view of God's sovereignty and predestination with 
the uh, ideas of like human free will not being violated by that. Mm. Mm. Uh, one more question, and I'm going to have to plug your stuff. Um, favorite argument for God's existence? Like, when, uh, if you have all these like, what's your go to argument for God's existence? It would have to be the moral argument. I think mm. I think the moral argument and presuppositional apologetics are the strongest arguments for God. And I I wasn't always that way. I used to hate the presuppositional arguments because a, a lot of presuppositionalists are like hyper autistic in the way they argue. You've um, seen the group chat with Ben, <laughs> and, and so I, I I don't like their approach. I used to believe more in the cosmological and arguments like the Kalam mm. and all that. And, I, and there's merit to it. Like I'll, I'll use them all. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my favorite's the moral argument. And I've, ha- I've tried to have this conversation in good faith with Jose a few times. And like, he just kind of like skirts it by going, I don't know, it's subjective and he doesn't get it. But like, and I tried to push Reed on this too, but I just don't think you can really justify a morality based upon materialism. Like yeah. you just really can't. Um, I actually had this conversation with Nick Ashley and he kind of agreed with me. He's kind of been like, you know, rediscovering his faith a little bit, looking well, back. See, he God. was a uh, born and raised Catholic. So I'm going to have yeah. to walk on that. I'm going to have to get him before you get him. <laughs> but yeah, I think that <laughs> the moral argument and it's going to come back home. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think the moral argument is the strongest for God mm-hmm. because I think that, I mean, I think people can be moral and not mm-hmm. believe in God, but I think it's like, they don't have any justification other for them. Like, well, it's just how I feel. Like, well, then it's inherently subjective. And honestly, you can be outright. And like, this is my argument with Nick Ashley. I was like, when you're outraged at pedophiles, you can justify it all you want. But like, yeah, it's aggression. But what you can't justify is why you view it as evil. So, yeah, I believe in like argumentation ethics and being able to like argue for seven months. I'm going to say pedophilia on his podcast. (laughs) I we had a seven month streak of no pedophilia talk on a libertarian podcast. You <laughs> broke. You robbed me of my proudest point, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> you robbed me here. I wanted to be like whatever. Like, oh, libertarians always talk about pedophilia. And it's like, I was going to link with the vice. like, I have brought it up once, and here you go and rob me of my talking point. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I got no. But a new email when I send it out to people now. It's like we've lost our streak. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, what I told um, uh, sorry, blanking out here. What I told, what I told Nick, um, and he agreed with me, and I think it's a potent argument. Is like you can't justify that moral outrage at things. Like when people get outraged at rape or pedophilia or or murder or like things that like, yeah, you could define them as like, well, that's 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 not that goes against our theory of rights and it's mm-hmm. it's not conducive to society. It's not evolutionarily beneficial. It's like cool. You can make those arguments all day long, but what you can't justify through evolution or materialism is why there's an outrage about why, like, listen, why, why is pedophilia something that we want to throw people in wood chippers for and not just like, Hey bro, cut that out. Don't do it again. Pay a $50 fine. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that like, you know what I mean? Like that are bad that are like violations of rights, but like the punishment isn't death or the ostracism from society. So like, why are like now that you could make a justification for murder? Okay, well, you killed somebody, or we can't let you kill people. But like, why is the why like why are people morally outraged to the level they are at these evil things? And I think that's just you can't if you know I I don't know if you can necessarily make like just from the moral argument make a complete jump to Christianity, but I think it gets you pretty freaking close because it definitely gets mm-hmm. you into 
you're justifying morality through some sort of metaphysical substrate. And then it's like, okay, well, now you're in the world of religion. And if we're doing comparative religion, I think Christianity is really easy yeah. to come out on top. And you got to yeah. make it's a it's a secondary argument to be like, okay, I've gotten you out of materialism. So now let's look at world religions and and let me explain to you why why Christianity is based and why the other ones uh, fall mm. short. I I don't have a favorite argument of God anymore. I really like the Colum- uh, cosmological argument from William Lane Craig, but I find that argument to be it's very easy for someone to counter it and be like, well, if everything has a trace back to contingency, what is free will? And I don't want to have a free will debate with anybody because I don't find it was interesting or fun. The, the free and will so argument I, is also, but like the problem is a lot of atheists have just given up on free will. But if yeah. somebody believes in free will, it's like, well, okay, see, cool. I, I actually uh, agree with atheists. If I didn't believe in God, I would have no faith in free will. I, I'd be completely in the determinist stance. Well, you know what's of, funny uh, is like, that uh, Alex O'Connor people. I think that actually the whole free will and determinism stuff plays into Christianity a lot. And like as a Calvinist, you know, like the Bible talks a lot about how we're dead to sin. We're slaves to sin. And I actually think that before people are saved, they kind of don't have free will. You know what I mean? Or like, they, they, they do. You gotta get the red pill. They, 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 I guess they do, but like they only have a free will to kind of like do what their sinful desires have, like what they're enslaved to do. And so, like, true freedom, like, it's where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Like, when when you when God sets you free, that's when you really have freedom, because you're no longer a slave to sin, and you no longer have a heart of stone. So, I don't know, I've always liked that connection there. I, I, I'm i having uh, James Gentleman back on my podcast this the Thursday. He's another Catholic, and we're planning to get a bit more into our Calvinism versus Catholicism. You know what's funny? Like I actually like. I'll be in the, the um, I'll be in the live. I'll be in the live chat for that one. I I really like the um, uh, a lot of the Catholic Church. Like I I got really big into watching uh, what is it, Bishop uh, Bobby Barron? Barron? And dude, Robert, that, he's Robert awesome. Barron. Robert yeah. Barron. Yeah, he's 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 the best. He's, he's awesome. If 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 Catholicism was like one hundred percent the way he puts it, it would be hard not to be a Catholic. Um, I, I think his arguments are very solid. He helped. I remember you did that stream like a week or two ago and I was like ribbing you in the comments and stuff. Um, but you guys were talking about things that I used to believe in, but that, uh, Baron kind of like helped me to, to, to learn were misconceptions mm-hmm. about the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like the tradition, you know, like a, a Aquinas and, and different church, uh, uh, saints and philosophers mm-hmm. throughout the, the, the centuries that were Catholic. And it's I, will just, be, I will be ordering the uh, four, five, six volumes of the Summa Theologica for my uh, book self. So soon I'll have the entire prime Aquinas work on the self. And yeah. I am very excited to up my Catholic uh, cred with that one. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, the uh, Anglican Church is actually this weird amalgamation of like mm-hmm. c- c- Catholic-ish, but kind of a little bit of reformed in it too. It's yeah. like Lutheranism with a little bit more reformed and a little bit and like, you know, kind of still call themselves Catholics. It's like, I don't know. It's like I go to a non-denominational church that's a bit more contemporary in style, but like there's a lot about the Catholic you have church. Starbucks that... yet or... <laughs> no, but the fog machines have been installed. Ah, nice. Yeah. Nice. You're yeah, getting yeah. there. You're getting there. Yeah. Honestly, as I've gotten older, I, I used to really hate hymns and love contemporary worship. And now it's like I could sing nothing but hymns for an hour and like like yeah, there's a, there's a lot of church like the liturgy and the tradition that's become more appealing to me the more i've grown d 
deep in my faith. So there's a lot, there's a lot there that's appealing to me, but it's just, I mean, you know, my, my biggest hurdle was the Pope. I just, I don't, I've heard that the arguments, the whole, like, Peter is the rock upon which I will build my church. I, I just, well, this, this it, Pope it is a Jesuit, so he doesn't count. That's my, <laughs> that's my argument. It's like, you can't blame him. He's a Jesuit. Like, what do you want? Okay. Um, yeah, but, but when it, it comes just, to the Pope's. As you see, um, the Pope is having a meeting with uh, Sosie Clinton and oh, well, Clinton's daughter was and Fauci about the soul of the, the country or the soul of the world. <sighs> like he's having it together for this like big debate, big conversation. And I, Rob tagged me. He's like, Caleb, you see this? And I was like, y'all missing the plot. He's gathered him in one spot for the mass exorcism. <laughs> this is this is the genius 40 test of the Vatican in play here. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I think, um, you know, the, the Greek Orthodox are also interesting, too, but they're mm. they're a bit more they, they kind of remind me of the Anabaptists and they're a bit more. I don't know, like they I'm not against like some of the mysticism and Gnosticism mm -hmm. on like a small level, but they they go like heavy doses into it. Yeah. Which uh, well, for me, it's really like when you're looking at the big two, I, I call them the big two because I, I can't see the little the pre-reformation catholic orthodox people it's really are you more platonist or are you more aristotelian you know because i am i'm more aristotelian than platonist but the more i learn the more and more i am becoming a platonist um and i love the Eastern orthodox i i found one in my neighbor in my uh city and i'm like oh i might i might pop by for a visit talk to i don't know if you saw my uh my conversation with karen ann harlow's but like i talked about this there i really don't like identifying with a denomination or even a mm -hmm. theology because like there's a lot of them I find value in. And to me, it's like, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm a Christian. And so I think that just as like, there's different schools of libertarian philosophy. And I think we can learn a lot from each of them, even though like I'm an Austrian through and through, but I can learn some stuff from the Chicago school. I can read some left libertarians of, of, of old or people like Konkin or, uh, you know, even like Tolstoy was a bit more of a left libertarian anarchist. My um, first anarchist I ever read was uh, Zakus Enel. I can't pronounce his name, but it's French. And I also don't even try, but he was a hardcore socialist, anti-technology guy. Like he was a rejecting yeah. a technology. He was, yeah, I, I call him, he's the Christian Unabomber. That's what I call him. He's, right. Yeah. So great. like I can, you know, in that same vein, it's like I, I like a learning and experiencing a lot of the different Christian denominations and, and theological perspectives because mm -hmm. I, I like that um, analogy that uh, William Lane uh, Craig uses, where it's like the truth and seeking after God is not like you ever arrive. It's kind of like yeah. this archaeological dig that you just you kind of just keep exploring and learning more. And we don't, you know, it's like what did, what did Paul say? The metaphor it's like I I. I see very, you know, little, like I look, I'm looking mm -hmm. through this like very dim cracked glass or mirror or something. I forget the exact analogy, but like, listen, if Paul is saying, dude, I, I kind of know, but I don't freaking know. Like well, that's mm -hmm. Paul. And like that dude with like the well, most base. Don't forget Paul <laughs> is a uh, false prophet and Christian anarchist. I'm with mad oh, book. God. Oh, I, God. And that's where I realized, oh, maybe I'm not a Christian anarchist, is when I saw all the Christian anarchists he whipped Paul out of the Bible. I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe these aren't my people after all. But it's safe I found Lou Rockwell, Tom Woods, and all these types. But, like, yeah. There's – I've said for a while, every Christian anarchist has one idiosyncratic point they, this, they refuse to let die. Like, we all have one, you know? Um, and for a lot of them, it's whipping Paul out of the Bible. Yeah, or or the – 
super autistic. No king but Christ. So, what do you do? The, the politics. We, we, we both know who you're talking about right yeah. now. <laughs> like, it's not just him. Said, but... The moment you said no king but Christ, I'm like, Craig. And I love Craig. Craig is fun to talk to. He's I'm on a podcast. Uh, I've talked to him twice now. He's great. But when, I, anyway, I, I can't hear no king but Christ and not saying, Craig. I've been on Craig's show twice now. And then I've done a debate with him on another show. Um, I don't hate Craig, but uh, he, he gets very, I mean, peak. Your autism don't um, mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His, his autism triggers my autism. And then we have an autism. Yeah. We have an autism battle. It's kind of like, a, it's like, it's like Gohan versus Cell or uh, um, Naruto versus, I forget the other guy's name, where it's like, it's you know, which, yeah, Sasuke. Uh, just I was like, gonna make fun of you for being a nerd, and then I had the name um, ready to go, so I can't. That was my plan. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna trap him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him out himself. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all anime statues up there. You know, you got like the greatest anime heroes of all time, All Might, Deku, Socrates. It's I've watched three anime. I've watched Dragon Ball Z. I've watched Naruto, and I've watched Attack uh, Attack on Titan. And that's it. I've watched Good. a very little, little bit of um, uh, crap. What's it called? The the one where his brother is like a uh, a robot, or in a, a suit of armor. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I've watched a tiny bit of that. That is my favorite anime. That is my favorite hero, anime. Academia. My hero, my hero uh, Academia. My Hero Academia. Yeah, like I've watched like yeah. some, like like one episode or or like, two maybe of each. Those two you've 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 only seen a little bit of are my two favorite anime. Really, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood good. is the like uh, you want a philosophical anime that is the epitome of like. Well, my brother's big into scientism. anime, but it's he amazing. he insists on watching the uh, the English subbed and not the dubbed, and I get that's the purest thing. Weeb, weeb. But um, I can't. I just like my attention span is like to watch all these episodes in the original yeah. Japanese is tough, and like. Yeah. It's, I couldn't do that with Dragon Ball Z because the Goku's voice actor in Japanese was like, "Oh my god, like no, kill me." Um, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, it, yeah. I I'm only watched I only watched the sub for Attack on Titan and My Hero cuz they're still putting out episodes weekly and I refuse to wait cuz I'm so fucking impatient. I have to watch it that morning. And so that's the only reason I watched uh, in Japanese. I've only watched season 1 of Attack on Titan. And I started to watch a little bit of season two, but like I don't know, that show gave me like a little bit of the EBGBs. Like, it's a little that creepy. Put me, that that's that first episode. I start. I watched it when it first came out. Watched the first episode. Said nope, not for me. Not watching <laughs> that ever again. And then years later, when the season four was coming out, my friends were like, "Dude, give it another chance. It gets it gets better." And I watched it. And I suffered through that first episode oh, again. Like, but the, the first season is great. It's just yeah. like, but like the cringe parts of that show make me like like (laughs) oh actually sorry i technically i guess i've watched one more anime ish there was on netflix like like years ago there was this like mini like this little mini anime series there was like four episodes long try and remember the name of it uh i forget the name i have to look it up but it was it was like this weird progression from like kind of weird cringe to like by the fourth episode i was like i'm sorry does netflix have hentai on it like what the hell is going on and i know anime always kind of like rides that line a little bit sometimes but this was was like whoa this is on netflix 
what is going on? I, I've also made it uh, six months that someone bringing up porn or hentai on my podcast. So thank you for robbing me of all three of my talking points. This is a Catholic show. Libertarians that never talks about pedophilia or hentai or porn. And you walked in here and just you robbed brought, me of you all brought my a talking filthy, points. You bought a filthy Protestant on your podcast. What do you? What do I've you had Protestants. I haven't had okay. Calvinists. That's the problem. That's the problem. You had a filthy Calvinist on. We we should listen. I, it's not my fault. I was predestined to come on here and ruin your show. So that's you were predestined <laughs> to suck. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, we've okay. gone for almost an hour and a half. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they join the Mises Caucus? Where can they go and, you know, go and do their thing? Where are All the right. autosat? Where, where are they at? Where are they at? They're everywhere. Just, just, just we go are on the Twitter. And, 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 yeah, really. <laughs> um, um, so Mises Caucus, if you have interest in learning more about that uh take humanaction.com uh that'll take you to the macy's caucus landing page we're also on facebook so you can join the facebook group i'm also a moderator on the national facebook group page so i i do the approvals if you go to the facebook group and want to join answer the membership questions or we will not let you in it is our private property bitch (laughs) (laughs) and if you post the wrong stuff you'll be what's um... yes yes if you forcibly removed, so you'll speak. be forced. Yeah, you're not allowed. We're not allowed to talk about well, because we don't want Facebook to come down on us. We don't talk about helicopters, but we just say that we're going to go for a ride and teach you about economics. <laughs> teach about physics. Um, yeah, teach you about Same economics small. and physics. Right. <laughs> um, as for my stuff. Uh, my podcast is Daniel Three Biblical Anarchy. I've had Caleb on uh, a, a few times. It's been a while though. We'll have to get you back on sometime soon. Um, but I think you've been on three or four times now. Um, but uh, so you can find me on like any basic podcast thing. Just type in Daniel Three Biblical Anarchy. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, like everything. I mean, like literally, I've I've tested this out. I can go on like uh the app store download a podcast app and i'm usually on it so yeah uh you're be my most obscure me. one cast box you're on there yeah yeah I'm on is... cast, yeah I'm, I'm on all the weird i'm just like who has these but you know what's weird is that cast box is actually i think my third highest uh thing according to my uh tracker as far as like where people I have watch five accounts show. on there bro you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> i am all your viewers you're welcome <laughs> Dude, when I first started out and first started doing live streams, I used to think, oh, cool. There's always two or three people watching. And then I was like, wait, two of those are me because I have windows pulled up. <laughs> I think right now I'm the only guy in the chat. Well, I think that's my, my one viewer is, is me right now. So, Yeah. Um, and nice. then uh, I'm on Facebook, although I'm uh, a little bit picky about who, who follows me on Facebook. Cause like my family stuff's on there. So best place to follow yeah. me personally on social media is Twitter, which is my handle is at biblical anarchy. Uh, mm. So that's where you can find me and check me out. I also do a Mises caucus podcast. I haven't done that in like a few weeks though, but that's called take human action PA. So you can look that up. We've had some cool conversation. I've had, I've had some, it's a very low subscriber count for the guests we've had. I've had Angela McArdle on there. I've had Jeremy Kaufman on there. Uh, I've had some really based guests on that show, Um, but it's got a really low subscriber uh, subscriber count. I do that with, that's not just me. That's me, uh, Rob Coburn of the Mises caucus and Adam Nutter 
who is my second favorite comic. Fat Dave. I got it. <laughs> well, yeah, Some, somewhere, some, somewhere in New Jersey, Dave Smith is going, fuck you, Fat Dave. <laughs> oh, fat Dave. You get it? He's he's the fat version of Skinny Dave. It's amazing. It was, it's, it's really funny. <laughs> I just love that. He was so triggered. He was like, fuck you, fat. You're not even fat. <laughs> He's a stick. It's absolutely hilarious. It's the, the best gag. Um, Honestly. Cool. I, 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 I ask you, though. Out of all the uh, tree comedy, Towel Gang, Slip Gang, and uh, Not a Podcast, which one do you think is the funniest? Because for me, Slip Gang is the funniest. Like, the other ones are good, but Slip Gang is shit. Legion of Skanks. Ah, uh, I don't find Lewis Lewis funny at all. No, I don't find I, funny actually, at I think, all. I think I prefer Tower Power Hour, but I just had to mm. be a contrarian and give you a not answer you with not one of the options you gave me. Well, that wasn't predestined, so because I didn't give you the options, and oh, I'm shit, gone. I used though. I used my free will. No, <laughs> you use you get one. Everybody gets one. Jacob, everybody gets one. <laughs> oh God. Uh, well, everybody, it's been another episode of the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Go read more books and hit the notification bell. Like, subscribe, stay on the podcast. Uh. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.